We're getting ready to start with the afternoon session, and in the afternoon we're going to tackle some of the more difficult issues, I think, with using protease inhibitors. Um, we're going to talk about drug-drug interactions, we're going to talk about adverse events management in a little more detail, and we'll talk about co-infection finally in, the, in a kind of a case-based setting with a panel discussion. Um, but first up this afternoon is uh, Dr. Jennifer Kaiser. She's assistant professor at uh, the University of Colorado, and she's in the School of Pharmacy, and I guess in the Department of Pharmaceutical Sciences. And Jen is a really an expert on um, HCV novel therapies and their drug-drug interaction capability or potential, and that's what she's going to give us a detailed explanation of today and make everything crystal clear, right? Thank you for the kind introduction. Can everyone hear me okay in the back? Yes, okay, good. I have a squeaky southern voice, so I need to make sure you guys can hear me. Um, so I hope I can make things crystal clear today, but uh, a lot of the interactions with these agents, as you'll see, are unexpected, inconsistent, and difficult to explain. But I will do my best. So the objectives over the next half hour, I'd like to compare and contrast the clinical pharmacology of bocepravir and telaprevir to identify therapeutic classes of drugs with the potential for interactions with bocepravir and telaprevir, discuss the management of these interactions, and then I'll briefly touch on the pharmacology and interaction potential of the next batch of Pepsi agents. So many drug interactions occur at the level of cytochrome P450 enzymes. About 60% of FDA-approved drugs are metabolized by cytochrome P450-3A4. Drugs that inhibit CYP3A are going to raise the concentrations of CYP3A substrates, and drugs that induce cytochrome P453A are going to lower the concentrations of substrates. With a show of hands, who's comfortable with cytochrome P450-mediated drug interactions? Just the PharmDs in the room. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'll show a couple of pictures that I hope will help clarify things. So on the y-axis here, you have drug concentrations, and on the x-axis, you have time. And the red squiggles here are concentrations of a cytochrome P450 substrate in the blood over a dosing interval. When you add an inhibitor, let's say ritonavir or telaprevir or bisepravir, then concentrations of that substrate are going to go up in the blood. And so for telaprevir and bisepravir, the consequences of those drugs being increased is that you could have more toxicities, potentially. Conversely, this is what cytochrome P450 induction looks like. So again, you have drug concentration shown in red um, on the y-axis and time on the x-axis. And if you add an inducing agent like efavirenz or the tuberculosis drug rifampin, then the concentrations of that substrate are going to go down. Maybe not right away because it takes a little bit of time to make new enzyme but the concentrations of the substrate will eventually go down. What are the consequences with an antiviral drug of having low drug levels? Anybody? Yes, virologic failure and potentially drug resistance. So bisepravir and telaprevir are both substrates for cytochrome P450-3A4. And this is evidenced by the fact that their concentrations are affected by a potent CYP3A inhibitor, and a potent CYP3A inducer. Now, throughout my talk today, I'll be presenting some pharmacokinetic data as a geometric mean ratio. In English, that's the concentration of the drug when given in combination with another drug relative 
to the concentration when it's given by itself. So it's like a fold change in the concentrations. So both the sepravir and telaprevir concentrations are raised by ketoconazole. So ketoconazole increases the area under the curve for bisepravir by 2.3-fold, and it increases the area under the curve of telaprevir by 1.62-fold. Efavirin is a potent CYP3A inducer, lowers the efavirin trough, I'm sorry, lowers the bisepravir trough by 44%, and lowers the telaprevir trough by 47%. Bisepravir is also metabolized by an enzyme system called aldoketoreductases. And this was new to me because there aren't any HIV drugs that are metabolized by this enzyme system. But diflunazole and ibuprofen, which are potent aldoketoreductase inhibitors, don't actually raise the concentrations of bisepravir. So this either indicates that AKR isn't that important an enzyme system for bisepravir, or that diflunazole and ibuprofen aren't great inhibitors of AKR at the doses studied in these trials, or perhaps that CYP3A is just such a high-capacity enzyme system that if you block aldoketoreductases, that CYP3A will just pick up the slack. In addition to being CYP3A substrates, bisepravir and telaprevir are also CYP3A inhibitors. So that means not only are they victims in drug interactions, but they can also be perpetrators in interactions. So midazolam and atorvastatin are two classic CYP3A probes. And bisepravir raises the midazolam AUC by 5.3-fold, and telaprevir raises it 9-fold. Atorvastatin is increased 2.3-fold by bisepravir and 7.9-fold by telaprevir. So these data would indicate that telaprevir may in, uh, perhaps be a more potent CYP3A inhibitor than bisepravir. So while we generally think of drug interactions as occurring at the level of cytochrome P450 enzymes, there's other places that drug interactions can occur. And one potential place is at the level of drug transporters. So with a show of hands, who has heard of P-glycoprotein? Okay, a few of you. That's good. So P-glycoprotein is one of the more famous drug transporters. It was identified in the 80s in tumor cells that were resistant to chemotherapeutic agents. But it's not the only drug transporter. There are thousands of transporters. Um, some of them, like PGP, are efflux transporters, pumping things out of cells and tissues, whereas some are influx transporters, pumping things into cells and tissues. Well, bisepravir and telaprevir are both substrates for P-glycoprotein, and they're also P-glycoprotein inhibitors. So bisepravir raises digoxin levels, digoxin being a classic PGP probe, by 1.2-fold, and telaprevir increases digoxin AUC by 1.9-fold. So these data would suggest, along with some other data, that telaprevir may be a more potent PGP inhibitor than bisepravir. We're also beginning to see that these drugs may affect other transporters. So bisepravir, for instance, interacts with pravastatin. It raises pravastatin levels. And the mechanism for this is because bisepravir inhibits a transporter that takes drug up into the liver. And this transporter is called OP1B1. And it also looks like from this study that telaprevir may inhibit some renal transporters. So this was an interaction with the HIV nucleotide tenofovir. And shown in gold are the tenofovir levels when given with telaprevir. So they were increased about 30%. The mechanism for this was a reduction in tenofovir's renal clearance. So the mechanism for this is thought to be inhibition 
of some renal transporters responsible for tamofovir's elimination. So tilaprovir may inhibit some renal transporters. The same interaction is not observed with vasepravir. So there's a slight increase in the peak, which may indicate a faster dissolution of tenofovir, but the area under the curve is not increased. And so we do not believe that vasepravir inhibits these renal transporters. So that's a snapshot of what we know about the pharmacology of these drugs so far. So I'll just review. Vasepravir and tilaprovir are both CYP3A substrates. Vasepravir is also an aldoketoreductase enzyme substrate. They're both CYP3A inhibitors. They're both PGP substrates. They're both PGP inhibitors. They also may play some, uh, have some effects on other transporters, like OP1D1 for bisepravir, as I mentioned, and renal transporters uh, for tilaprovir. But there are no in vitro data at this point suggesting that either of these drugs induce transporters or enzymes. So can we use what we know about the clinical pharmacology of these drugs to predict drug interactions? Let's go through a patient case. <clears throat> so this is a patient, a 45-year-old Caucasian male who is HIV and hep C co-infected. And he actually um, had end-stage liver disease and underwent a transplant six years ago. His other comorbidities include hyperlipidemia, hypertension, depression, and GERD, and he has a penicillin and sulfa allergy. So here is his medication list, and this is why I was contacted. So I, we have a great transplant pharmacist and a great HIV and hep C pharmacist in our hospital, so they handle most, um, most of the drug interaction questions, but this guy was a little bit complicated, so there were several cooks in the kitchen with this patient. His um, medications include atorvastatin for his hyperlipidemia, metoprolol and lisinopril for his hypertension, sertraline for depression, omeprazole for GERD, his immunosuppressants, he takes cyclosporin 25 milligrams daily and mycophenolate 500 milligrams twice daily. His HIV regimen is not on the preferred list according to the DHHS guidelines, but he's been on this regimen for six years and suppressed, so they have not, have not changed him. He's on melfinivir, tenofovir, and 3TC. And his PCP prophylaxis is a tobaquin. Quite a list, huh? So a little bit more about his history. So they attempted to treat his hep C in 2000. He got interferon and ribavirin, but he became profoundly neutropenic, and so they stopped the treatment. Um, for various reasons, treatment was not tried again, and then in 2006, he had a liver transplant. But his hep C recurred, and in February of this year, his um, biopsy showed grade 3 of 4 inflammation and stage 2 of 4 fibrosis. His viral load in July was 3 million. He's a he was a hemophiliac, so he was diagnosed in the 80s. He did receive AZT monotherapy, and then he got triple nucleoside treatment. Then when indenivir became available, he took that for a little while, but developed GI intolerance, so they switched him to melfinivir. He remained on um, AZT, 3TC, and melfinivir until the time that he developed that profound neutropenia while on um, the PEG and, um, not PEG, the interferon and ribavirin treatment, and so they switched out the AZT to D4T. He stayed on that for six years, and then when he had his liver transplant, they switched the D4T uh, to tenofovir. So most of his treatment uh, changes have been due to 
upgrades or um, in the case of adenovir due to intolerance because he's always been undetectable. He hasn't had virologic failure at least since 1997. His CD4 cell count in July was 561. This was 17%. Okay, he had a cyclosporin level in August, it was 33. His lipids, he has a low HDL, but they otherwise look pretty good, so the atorvastatin is working. His blood pressure in September was 114 over 81, and that is consistent with his past three clinic visits. He weighs 59 kilos, and if these are some of his laboratory tests from September. <coughs> you'll see the reference range shown in parentheses. His LFTs were a little high. His, his uh, hemoglobin was a little low, but otherwise they looked pretty good. So this patient is now being considered at our institution for triple therapy. And it's, co it's a complicated case, but I think it highlights well a lot of the drug-drug interactions that you might need to consider in practice. So I'm going to start with the low-hanging fruit. We'll start with hyperlipidemia and work our way up to the more complicated interactions with the antiretrovirals and immunosuppression. So I have four audience response questions related to this case, and this is the first. So how should we manage this patient's hyperlipidemia while he is on Vasepravir or Tilacrevir? Do you guys remember what he was taking? 10 milligrams of atorvastatin, right. So the first option is no change. The low dose 10 milligrams of atorvastatin is safe with Vasepravir and Tilacrevir. The second choice is to change the atorvastatin to simvastatin. The third choice is to change the atorvastatin to pravastatin. And your last choice is how do we manage hyperlipidemia? Well, we don't. We'll stop the atorvastatin for now and restart it once the PI is completed. So I'll give you a little bit of time to vote now. Okay, so uh, I should have told you there's no right answer, but there may be a few wrong answers. My students hate when I do this, but it's the real world. So let's go through the choices. So I like to keep things simple. This is the stoplight approach to interactions with statins. Red, stop, yellow, caution, green, go. So simvastatin and lovastatin are highly dependent on CYP3A for their metabolism. And concentrations of, the, of these drugs could be raised uh, significantly. For instance, with the ritonavir-boosted protease inhibitor sequinavir, simvastatin levels are raised 49-fold. So and there are many cases in the literature of rhabdomyolysis and even death from this combination. So simvastatin and lovastatin would not be acceptable choices for the patient. If you'll remember earlier in the talk, we looked at the impact of telaprevir and bisepravir on atorvastatin. So Bisepravir raises atorvastatin 2.3-fold, and Tilaprevir raises atorvastatin 8-fold. So you cannot use Tilaprevir with atorvastatin. So that would make, it was tricky, but number one, the choice was Tilaprevir and Bisepravir. They're both safe with atorvastatin, and that's not the case. Tilaprevir is not safe with atorvastatin. Bisepravir you can use, but you should start at a, at a lower dose and not exceed 40 milligrams. Okay, resuvastatin. Um, so resuvastatin is minimally metabolized by cytochrome enzymes, so you wouldn't think that it would have interaction potential, 
but it is a substrate for that OT1B1 transporter, and so the levels of it could be raised by a transporter interaction. So you need to use caution if you use this agent. Uh, we have no data at this time on the interaction potential. Pravastatin, shown in green, uh, is a safe choice. So Bosepravir increases pravastatin about 60%, so you may want to use a lower dose of the pravastatin, but it is an, um, an option for this patient. And the last choice, which some of you um, chose, was to just stop the statin for now and resume it once the PI therapy was complete. So that's an option as well. So options three and four were uh, acceptable. And option one would have been okay if you were going to use Bosepravir. Okay, so our patient was also taking some medications for his hypertension. Do you recall what he was taking? Metoprolol and lisinopril. So the ACE inhibitors and diuretics, our patient's not on a diuretic, but um, these classes of medications are fine with bosepravir and telaprevir. Beta blockers, only carvedilol and nabivolol present a problem. So he's on metoprolol, so that should be fine. Herbisartan and losartan are angiotensin receptor blockers that use CYP3A. So if our patient was on these, you would need to dose adjust to those medications. And if you have patients on calcium channel blockers, you should take pause because many of these use CYP3A. And amlodipine is increased 2.8-fold by telaprevir. So you're going to need to decrease the dose of amlodipine with telaprevir. Okay, he was taking sertraline for depression. So the only SSRI that's been studied with the HCV PIs is escitalopram, and escitalopram is reduced 21% with bisepravir and 35% with telaprevir. So I was spending the first half of this lecture telling you that telaprevir and bisepravir would raise the levels of all these drugs, but here you'll see that they actually reduce the levels of a drug. Uh, they reduce the levels of escitalopram. The interaction here, the mechanism for it, is a little bit unclear. But interestingly, in the bisepravir study, they looked at the half-life of escitalopram and found that it was actually shortened. When you see a shortened half-life, that often indicates hepatic induction. So perhaps, even though there's no in vitro data to suggest that bisepravir or telaprevir are enzyme inducers, we now have a drug interaction study that suggests that might be possible. What about other SSRIs? Well, we have to make a guess here because there are no data. With HIV protease inhibitors, paroxetine and sertraline exposures are reduced. So it's possible that the sertraline exposures might be reduced in our patient. Now, there aren't good concentration effect data with SSRIs, so this doesn't mean that you should run and increase all the SSRI doses for your patient starting triple therapy. Um, instead, you should probably make the patient and their mental health care provider aware of the potential for an interaction that may go in either direction and make sure that they monitor for um, control of the antidepressive um, effects and uh, side effects. Okay, so uh, we tackled the easier interactions first. Now we're going to move to a little more difficult ones. So this is response question number two. What do we do with his HIV regimen? One, maintain the patient on his current regimen, tenofovir, lamivudine, and nelfinavir. Two, discontinue the nelfinavir and switch to another HIV protease inhibitor. 
three, discontinue the nelfenavir and switch to a non-nuke. Or four, discontinue nelfenavir and switch to raltegravir. Okay, so again, there wasn't necessarily a right answer here, but let's discuss the options. So the first, maintain the patient on their current regimen. So 20% of you wanted to do this. Well, there are no data with nelfenavir and the hep C protease inhibitors, and we're unlikely to get any data on nelfenavir and hep C protease inhibitors because nelfenavir is not a preferred or even an alternative agent um, according to treatment guidelines. So you're taking a bit of a risk if you leave him on his current regimen because we don't know exactly what would happen. Um, I'll walk through the second choice, though. How about another PI? Well, this was a healthy volunteer drug-drug interaction study with telaprevir and four ritonavir-boosted HIV protease inhibitors. And these are the concentrations of the HIV protease inhibitors. So you'll see they're all over the board. Lopinavir unchanged. Adazanavir was increased. Darunavir and Fosamprenavir were both lowered. <laughs> and the interaction was bidirectional. So not only were the HIV PI concentrations affected, but the telaprevir concentrations were affected as well. They were all reduced. The one that was reduced the least was adazanavir. It was about a 20% reduction. So adazanavir is still studied with telaprevir or is still used with telaprevir. But the other three are not. An interaction was also done with Baseprevir and the PIs, and the PIs were all reduced. Adazanavir was reduced, Lopinavir was reduced, and Darunavir was reduced. And Baseprevir was reduced as well by the Lopinavir and the Darunavir. So I made a little table to summarize <laughs> the interactions with these Ritonavir-boosted PIs. And we have arrows going down, we have arrows going up, and then we have the concentrations not changing at all. So I, I, I'm, scratching, I'm left scratching my head here. These interactions are inconsistent, unexpected, difficult to explain, and possibly multifactorial. So as I mentioned, we are still using adazanavir with telaprevir, but the others, um, we're not really comfortable using them at this point because we need a little more data on the mechanism for the interaction. Um, I, I'm doing some work in this area, but it's a bit beyond the time constraints and the scope of this talk, but I'm happy to discuss that with folks if they're interested. What's interesting is in the phase two Baseprevir co-infection trial, there were 98 patients enrolled in this trial, 85% of which were on a ritonavir-boosted PI, and there were actually good rates of SVR. The SVR rate was 61%, which is very close to what we see in hep C mono-infected patients. So, there's a disconnect here between the re promising results of that phase two trial and the drug-drug interaction study in healthy volunteers. If we have interactions that reduce the concentrations of these drugs by 50%, wouldn't we have seen more failure? So there's clearly a need to reconcile this disconnect between the promising phase two study results and the healthy volunteer drug-drug interaction study. So if you switch the patient to another PI, it would have to be at this point Ritonavir boosted adazanavir and telaprevir. Option number three was to switch the patient to a non-nucleoside. Well, I showed you the efavirenz data earlier in the talk. 
Favarin's reduces concentrations of both of these drugs. You can overcome the reduction, though, with telaprevir by using a higher telaprevir dose. So that could potentially be an option for the patient. What about uh, newer NNRTIs? Well, ropivirine has not been studied with vasepravir, but with telaprevir, ropivirine levels are raised 89%. The clinical significance of this isn't really well, uh, isn't really understood. With etrovirine, we did this study with vasepravir, and we thought that the vasepravir levels would go down and the etrovirine levels would go up, but that's not what we found. We found a 29% reduction in the etrovirine levels and no change in the vasepravir. With telaprevir, they found a different interaction, no change with the etrovirine and a 25% reduction with the telaprevir. So again, these interactions are a bit inconsistent, unexpected, and difficult to explain. But uh, some of these may be an option for the patient. The last choice was raltegravir, switching the patient to the integrase inhibitor raltegravir. So there's no interaction with vasepravir and raltegravir. With telaprevir, raltegravir has increased a little bit. And we think this is due to inhibition of P glycoprotein. Raltegravir is a substrate for PGP. They looked at the glucuronide of raltegravir, and its levels were not different than the parent. So we don't think this is inhibition of its glucuronidation, but in fact, PGP inhibition. So raltegravir would be a good option for the patient. And in fact, we are considering raltegravir for this patient and dis in discussions about a fourth agent. So I made a scorecard on interactions with protease inhibitors and the various antiretrovirals. Again, it's red, yellow, green. Um, red is where we need more data. Yellow is caution. And green is safe. So you can use atazanavir with telaprevir. You can use efavirenz with telaprevir as long as you increase that telaprevir dose. And raltegravir is a good choice for both agents. The data with elvitegravir and cabisostat and maraviroc are coming soon. So certainly what you do with the patient's immunosuppression is going to depend on what you do with their antiretroviral treatment. But let's ignore that for just a moment and focus on the immunosuppression, telaprevir, bisepravir interactions. And Dr. Peters discussed this a bit in the previous talk, so hopefully you have an idea of what we could do. But first uh, option, change his cyclosporin to tacrolimus. Second option, empirically reduce the cyclosporin dose by half and then use therapeutic drug monitoring to further guide the dosing. Three, keep the cyclosporine dose the same, 25 milligrams a day, but extend the interval. That is, redose when the cyclosporine concentrations are in the desired range. Or four, I have a better idea, and we'd like to hear it. Okay, so 78% of you would like to do number two, and that is what we're trying out at our institution, is empirically reducing the dose by half and then using TDM to guide further doses. We were originally reducing it by 75% based on the magnitude of the drug interaction in healthy volunteers, but we were going a little too low. So here are the interaction data. So we already saw a 70-fold increase in tacrolimus from telaprevir and a 17-fold increase from bisepravir. With cyclosporin, the interaction is not quite as extensive, so you have a 4.64-fold increase with telaprevir and a 2.7-fold increase with bisepravir. 
and we'll know better exactly how to dose these drugs and how to approach these patients as more centers are studying these patients and um, treating these patients. Okay, my last audience response question number four, this is probably the hardest one. How long does it take for the inhibition effects of telaprevir and bisoprevir to wear off? So this means once we're done with treatment, with the protease inhibitor component of treatment, and we've adjusted all their other drugs, <coughs> what should we do? Um, how long should we wait before we change them back? Okay, so should we adjust the medications immediately following the last dose of telaprevir and bisoprevir? Do we wait one half-life of the drug? So that's 9 to 11 hours for telaprevir and 1 to 3 hours for bisoprevir. Do we wait one week or one month? Oh, you guys are smart. So 60% of you those that said number three, one week, that is correct. So it takes that long to make new enzyme. Telaprevir and bisoprevir are both CYP3A suicide inhibitors, so you have to have some time to uh, make new enzyme. So I wished I could have made all these interactions crystal clear, as Dr. Weil said, but I can't. I can just tell you that they are confusing and that it's changing all the time. So you need an up-to-date resource. And the University of Liverpool has a website that's freely accessible called hep-druginteractions.org. And so I use this website. And if you're a nerd like me and you want to go look up the reference and see the actual study data, they have the references there provided. So that's nice. So this is a good reference for you in practice. And then just briefly, pharmacology and interaction potential of the next batch of drugs. Well, so we, faldaprevir, semeprevir, decladosphere, and cefosprevir um, are, are some that are in phase three trials or have finished phase three trials. Three out of four of these are CYP3A substrates. Three out of four of them still affect drug transporters. And some of them have already been studied with antiretrovirals, which is nice, but they are, many of them are effective. So we will have to still consider drug interactions into the foreseeable future. So in conclusion, these drugs have complex pharmacology. Interactions are not easily predicted, but identifying and managing the interactions is going to be critical for success with these patients. And perhaps the next batch of Hep C agents will have fewer or more easily predicted interactions, but it's really too soon to tell. Okay, I'd be happy to entertain questions. Stay there. So we have one question, but um, if you have more questions, uh, give them the cards or just come up to the microphone. So the one question we have is, says, please comment on DAA, telaprevir, or bosuprevir metabolism in patients with chronic renal insufficiency, creatinine clearance less than 30. Okay, that, that's a good question. So um, both of these drugs are, do not need to be adjusted in patients with uh, renal dysfunction. However, since you're giving them with ribavirin, you will need to think about the ribavirin. Uh, dosing in that setting. Okay. Any other questions? Oh, there we go. So, was this a real patient? Did you end up giving them boosted atazanavir? Um, actually, that is the fourth agent that we're talking about to, to use. So, we were going to use Kepistinofavir and change his 3TC to FTC so he could have that in one pill, give him raltegravir and boosted atazanavir with telaprevir. That is our plan. So the first thing we have to do, though, is get uh, the atazanavir on board, figure out what it does to the cyclosporin, 
then add the tilapia beer. We also are doing a lead-in at our institution with the PEG and Riba first to get them to the, a comfortable dose and see how they do with that before we add the tilapia beer. So it's kind of a process. We're not doing it all at one time. Good question. We were talking about this at dinner last night. Um, the doc is very conservative, and he's concerned that there may have been some nucleoside resistance from his AZT monotherapy and uh, triple nucleoside base. He just wanted to make, make me work harder and look up <laughs> he's more He's very conservative. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Do we have another one here, Jen? Okay. Um, so do you have a preferred antidepressant with either bocephavir or tilapavir? escitalopram has been the one that's studied more and now we actually have interaction data with it showing that it's um, you know reduced just a little bit so I would probably lean towards using that one. Any data with antipsychotics? Uh, no. no there are not data with antipsychotics but um, one of the references is a review paper I wrote and I think I mentioned what you can do with some antipsychotics in that setting just based on what you think is happening with, right, um, right. with their metabolism. Uh, oh, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dr. Peterson. Can you repeat the question and the answer? Oh, okay, yes. Um, so could we oh. use um, Celexa or uh, citalopram rather than escitalopram? Do you have any preferred antihypertensives or any worries with them? Um, well, my, yeah, my preferences are the one this patient's on because they don't interact. So ACE inhibitors, diuretics, and beta blockers with the exception of carvedilol and nabivolol are all okay. I don't like calcium channel blockers, but I'm not an antihypertensive person, so I'm sure there are reasons <laughs> to use calcium channel blockers in certain settings, but um, they are the most likely to have drug interactions. And does every hep C group you know of have a PharmD with them? Uh, or should we? Or well, should they, yes. They don't. I mean, even at our institution, we just hired, uh, maybe within the past year, a PharmD that would actually work with the hepatology folks. So, no, they don't. But I, I mean, I think it'd be very helpful. It's, it's a lot for the, at our institution, we have a lot of PAs and nurse practitioners treating the patients with hep C, and it's a lot for them to have to go try to look up all these interactions. So it's nice to have a pharmacist in your back pocket. Just a quick story from the clinic. Um, patient who was on hydrochlorothiazide and losartan, which you mentioned had drug-drug interaction, um, came in with blood pressures were like in the mid-120s. Two weeks after bocephavir was started, his blood pressure was near the mid-80s, and he was, he was symptomatic. Mm -hmm. And I did a, you know, prior to treating him, I did one of those quick lookups on a drug-drug interaction table, and I saw nothing. And so I think that the, the, the moral of the story is I think we might need to do more research rather than just a quick check. And I think probably the best is actually to read the metabolism of the drug itself and see if it is a three and four substrate inhibitor or whatever. But in that case, it was, you know, he was on 50 losartan daily, and that's not, that's not a real knock-em-out dose, but dropped his, his systolic by 30 millimeters. Yeah, I've had a lot of providers say, well, I like micrometics or I like Lexicomp, and, and um, I just do not find those references or resources to be correct or up-to-date. So that's why I like the Liverpool site. And the Liverpool site's not perfect. Don't tell David Back I said that. It's not perfect. I mean, um, you know, there's, there's, there's some that, you know, we would probably need more data in or that I would have hypothesized a different consequence than what they thought. But um, it's the best we have for now. I think it'd be great if ASLD would put drug interaction tables in their guidelines like the DHHSS 
DHHS does, but um, I don't think that's going to happen for a while. The metabolism of the drug itself, will you actually look that up? Because in this case, that's what I should have done, and I didn't. But is that, is that what you do? If you, if you go to sources and you see nothing, but you're still concerned, would you look at the actual drug itself and read about its metabolism? Yes, but, I mean, to look this patient up with all his interactions took two pharmacists two days, you know, a day or two to do. So, you know, how are you going to do it in clinic when you have 20 patients to see and each of them has 20 drugs? You can't go to PubMed and look at the original literature and then look up the pharmacology. It's, it's a lot. So you've, you've really got to have a resource that is 99% accurate. <laughs> and I think that drug interaction site from Liverpool is, is, you just have to remember the British spellings of things. That's the only part of it that I found. You can't find drugs. <laughs> um, I, I'm PharmD. I've been in the world of HIV and drug interactions for a while. And thing about like looking things, the way things are metabolized, some of that is just in vitro. And there, as um, she alluded to, there's some things that are not going to necessarily translate once you're, you start giving them to patients. So that's number one. A lot of drug interaction studies also like our um, one dose phenomena, and that's not necessarily a, a, a going to be a reflection either of what's going to happen when you start giving it, um, you know, regularly. Um, and I also find there's a um, University of Toronto immunodeficiency clinic website that uh, also has a great referenced um, drug interactions. Um, in tabular format, it's probably not as spiffy as plugging it in as the Liverpool, but that one is also really well um, annotated and, um, and it's, it's really good. So that one's just with HIV interactions, right? No, no they have, I mean, it, it's, it's based on it, but then they do like bring in like the, the hep C protease inhibitors and other classes of agents. It's, 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 I, I like it a lot. Okay, well, that's another good one that I should look up. I remember looking at it before and only seeing antiretroviral interactions and I, with the HCV drugs. And I hate to bring this up, but there's also the consideration of um, the, these patients have liver dysfunction. So what's the contribution of their liver dysfunction to their drug concentrations and the magnitude of the interaction? You know, that's an additional complication that we uh, have to consider. You sort of glazed over renal failure and renal insufficiency patients um, and mentioned the ribavirin. I guess my question is, is there any evidence that using the protease inhibitors now, there's a problem with that, and especially if you're going to have to dose reduce your interferon, dose reduce your ribavirin, and then if you can even take them off the ribavirin and they're still on a protease inhibitor, is that sort of experimental, I guess, so I don't know what people are doing. Well, both, the, I didn't mean to glaze over it if I did. The bacepravir and the telaprevir are not um, affected by renal dysfunction, so you're not going to have to adjust their doses. But yes, if you have a patient that has renal insufficiency and you have to use, you're saying small, very small amounts of ribavirin in those patients, is there a problem with using full dose telaprevir and teganeferon and ribavirin and a small dose of, of ribavirin? Is that your question? Sort of, yeah, okay. and also the fact that they were never looked at, no, you know, never looked at in the studies for the protease inhibitors right. in any renal insufficiency or renal, fa renal failure patients. Well, um, the, the drugs have been looked at in persons with renal dysfunction, the telaprevir and the bacepravir have, and they're fine. But you're right, we haven't looked specifically at studying triple therapy in those patients with advanced uh, renal disease. So I guess, are people doing that just a lot of folks, at, at least at my institution, they're just uncomfortable with ribavirin in that setting right. in general. So that rules out treatment potentially with triple therapy for those patients. So they're just uncomfortable with, with ribavirin in that setting. 
without therapeutic drug monitoring or some right. other mechanism of safely using that ribavirin. We've treated one or two, um, and we actually sent drug levels to uh, National Jewish or Charlie Feld when I think got ribavirin levels, um, but I don't know how helpful it is. I mean, you don't have to dose reduce if you're using PEG-2A um, with renal dysfunction. If you're using 2B, you do. Um, and then ribavirin, I mean, if their creatinine clearance is less than 50. 50, we'll do like maybe 200 or 400, depending on how much they weigh, and watch them closely and try to send a drug level. But I mean, what you do with the drug level then, it's hard to even know. So I mean, it's really kind of a black box. We've had a few people like with cryoglobulins, and then they get renal failure from that, and the nephrologists are saying, treat these people, and we're kind of like, do we or don't, don't we kind of situation. Yeah. No, it's hard. It's all about the ribavirin dosing and what you do in that setting. Yeah. Great. Good questions. Thank you, Dr. Thanks. Kaiser.